Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. Who's we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! How are you doing today, Mick? Oh, I'm alright, I'm alright. I'm between vaccinations, you see. So the pain of the first one has worn off and now I've just got the slight anticipation of when I'm going to get a phone call for the next one. I like watching you kind of mentally work out is it anticipation, is it dread, which do I go for? Yeah, well, I've had conflicting reports from those those people who I know that have had two um, as to whether the second one hits you worse or is milder. In comparison, so, and then of course there's the added complication that they might give you the second one from a different supplier. Oh, that's how you. Good. We should have saved this conversation for an inevitable Falcon in the Winter Soldier episode. Indeed. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe the vaccination... Maybe the whole pandemic is a hydro plot. Okay, okay, listeners, bit. forget all this bit, and then next episode, but well, probably next episode, <laughs> this is going to be a really great bit that we'll all enjoy. Yes. Yeah. But Remind me. Remind me that that's the bit we're going to do. <laughs> oh, no. But that requires me to remember it, Nick. <laughs> And if, if anyone could see our recording schedule, they'll know what a dicey prospect me remembering to tell you things is. Indeed. But anyway, enough of this kind of nonsense, because now it's time for us to talk about a TV show like the two normal regular human men from Earth that we both definitely are, as we behold Absolutely. Resident Alien. Dun dun dun! So yes, this week... I don't know why I did that in a way that I don't do whenever else you do the title. Yeah, I don't, of, of all the ones to do it for, this seems like a, a random choice. I know. But, hey, aren't random choices what life's all about? Indeed they are, as well as 2021 TV series is created by Chris Sheridan, based on Dark Horse comic books created by Peter Hogan and Steve Parkhouse. And not, as I thought for a long time, written by Paul Hogan. Because that's Crocodile Dundee. Call that a comic? See, that would, that would be an even better comic, wouldn't it? <laughs> if it's about an alien, and also he's Ost alien. Oh... Get on with it. Even, even I regret that one, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, you, uh, you're familiar with the comics, Mick? Well, this is one of those where I started watching the show and then got the comic. So I've read the first volume of Resident Evil... Uh, Resident Evil? Resident Alien. Yes, Paul Hogan's Resident Evil. Yes. Oh, now there's an idea. Yeah, so I read the first volume of Resident Alien, and um, 
it's remarkably faithful in a lot of ways, um, except that the alien in the comics doesn't come here on purpose. And the alien in the comics also is not uh, seen by the small child, but seen by Asta, who I'm sure we'll come to in the future. Indeed. But yeah, it's other than that, it's a, a fairly, you know, the tone is fairly similar. Um, the whole idea of him masquerading as a doctor, that's all in there. There's a medical examiner, in fact. In the comic, uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty damn faithful, and it is a pretty good comic. Yes, I would agree because I also kind of did like you started watching the TV show, then checked out the first volume of the comic, and yeah, rather enjoyed it. I'd say probably mm-hmm. this is probably jumping ahead a bit, but I feel like yeah, a lot of the differences. It is just kind of where it's about um, it's not even like six issues, is it? I think it's like no. two. Like extended issues for the first one, yeah. so obviously that's had to be extended out into like a a whole ten episode TV series. Yeah. If only one of us was supposed to have done some kind of research before starting the episode. <laughs> yeah, I think ten episodes is well. That's about standard for sci-fi, isn't it? Sci-fi channel. Yes, that's right. Kind of a, a bit less than the thirteen. And then, and then what they'll do is they'll renew it. Early for a second season, and then uh, halfway through uh, the prelude for the second series, they'll announce that it's going to have a fourth and a, f- a third and a fourth season, and then just before they start broadcasting the third season, they'll cancel the fourth season. Not that I'm bitter in any way. Damn you, sci-fi, and your why not why not up cancellations. I don't think they. They love stringing you along with that show, don't they? They do, yeah. Actually, we're going to have to come back to that at some point for an episode, aren't we? We are. We are. But anyway, yeah, Resident Alien. Now that it's over. But yeah, it's okay. Resident Alien isn't over, and in fact, I think has already been confirmed for a second series. Yeah. 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 Which is kind of good, because they've they've set it up for... (laughs) Yeah, not to not to spoil too. too much before we get to it, but yeah, quite a bit of a cliffhanger this one ends on. <laughs> yeah, also, the other thing I wanted to say about the comic is that I, I really like the art in it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know there's one panel of, of Harry, like, back in his home world, and it's this very, like, lush green, very looking thing that I've been trying to turn into some kind of screensaver, but it's just, it's an awkward size panel as well. <laughs> and awkward's very much the theme of Resident Alien. It is indeed, so yes, but it's a very appropriate panel. <laughs> so, uh, shall I get on to the synopsis then? Synopsize away. And as always, this will contain spoilers for the whole series. Just will like that. So, while on a mission to plant a bomb to destroy life on Earth, our alien protagonist is forced to crash land after his ship is struck by lightning. Finding himself in Colorado, the alien breaks into the home of Dr. Harry Vanderspiegel, Alan Dudick, uh, accidentally kills him and takes his form in order to disguise himself 
while he searches for the bomb which is lost somewhere in the Rockies. And just as a side note, uh, from here on out, I'll be doing basically kind of what the show does of referring to the alien as Harry and the real Dr. Van Der Spiegel as Dead Harry. <laughs> I mean, it's an easy way to tell them apart, isn't it? What about Frozen Harry? It's a bit less macabre. I, d- I suppose we could have Frozen Harry instead. TV dinner, Harry. Yeah. The Harry Sickle. <laughs> you take it too far now. So Harry's plan is interrupted uh, when he is called into the nearby town of Patience. The town's Dr. Sam has recently been mysteriously murdered and they need Harry to take his place until they can find a replacement. Realising that saying no would blow his cover, Harry begrudgingly agrees. Uh, while working in the town, Harry comes to know its colourful inhabitants, including Meek Mayor Ben Hawthorne, Levi Fielder, overzealous Sheriff Mike Thompson, Corey Reynolds, and shot-slinging former skier Darcy Bloom, Alice Wetterland. Uh, he also enters into a very weird friendship with Sam's <laughs> former assistant, Aster Twelve Trees, played by Sarah Tomko, who unwittingly helps Harry learn how to be a better human although she does later learn of Harry's extraterrestrial origin. Uh, it's not all smooth sailing, though, as Harry must also contend with Ben's son Max, Judah Pren, who has the one-in-a-million gift of being able to see Harry's true form. Uh, also unknown to Harry, he's being tracked by a shadowy agency who found his crashed ship, led by General McAllister, Linda Hamilton. After a series of sci-fi murder mystery Dr. Dramedy adventures, Harry is able <laughs> Harry is able to reclaim both his ship and the bomb. However, after living in patience, he finds that he has developed emotions and is unable to go through with the planet's destruction. Flying into space, Harry releases the bomb where it explodes in a distinctly non-earth-shattering kaboom. Uh, however, before he can return to his home planet, he finds out that Max has also snuck aboard his spaceship. And then Double cliffhanger. We learn via flashback that the person who murdered Dr. Sam was Harry Sickle. Oh. Dun dun dun. That's twice I've done I know, I was going to say, your first one, it was a bit of a premature dun dun dun. Maybe. But I guess. Maybe it was a sort of, you know, trailer. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, man of your age, sometimes it just kind of slip out. There's no need for that, was it? That wasn't, and yet I said it anyway. <laughs> so, here's a question. If Alan Tudyk didn't exist, would this show? I mean, maybe, but I would not watch it. Because, <laughs> like, this is 100%, it's just the Alan Tudyk show, isn't it? I, I, I think this is the Alan Tudyk biopic. I think this is actually how Alan Tudyk arrived on the Earth. I mean, it it makes sense because he's so good at playing just <laughs> an alien who does not understand our strange human ways. <laughs> yeah, I um, 
the the thing is, he's because he's alien. He manages to do those awkward things and point out awkward things that the rest of us all think. But we have the social mores to to back away. Yes, exactly. It's that classic thing of someone who like doesn't know what our socially accepted wisdom is, just pointing out things that you go, yeah, I mean, you've got a point, don't you? Yeah. So uh, uh, my favourite example of that is the whole um, town of Patience is a a sort of dead mining town that's bouncing back slowly, but it's still not in its glory days. And they live around this um, heroic tale of 69 for one, where 69 miners went into the mine to save the life of one trapped miner. Uh, and they're in a bar one night and they're explaining to Harry that, uh, or, or they're explaining to um, the new doctor that comes into town uh, that 69 risked their lives so that one didn't die. And then Harry just points out that, well, actually, 70 died, so it was a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and that's great because I've said that going, yes, it is. It's so dumb. That's a terrible story it, to base your town around. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, the town is like a... It's like an entire chapter of the Book of Heroic Failures, isn't it? Because Darcy's an Olympic winter sports champion that didn't get to be an Olympic winter sports champion because of injuries. Yes, exactly. And you've got, like, Sheriff Mike, who was... I think it's implied with, like, some kind of big shot Chicago detective, and then he had to move out here where he's a very bored small-town sheriff. Yeah. And, uh... And the interplay between him and his deputy is fantastic because he's so larger than life. Yeah. He's like the sergeant out of uh, Full Metal Jacket, isn't he? Yeah, he's... <laughs> A lot of the time. I feel like for the first few episodes, I kind of didn't like him that much just because he, he does start at 11 and only go up from there. Yeah. <laughs> but by the time, especially by the time we get to the point where he's asking his deputy to come back and work for him, through karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> this show's got everything. <laughs> it really did. And yeah, I think that is definitely the, the, like, the biggest strength of the show, is just the performances. Yeah, and it's it's another one where there's no sort of there's no sort of characters that are so glamorous that they're clearly there to just appeal to the demographic, which is it's a pattern that's emerging on these genre shows now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, where it's kind of like the, the very supermodel-esque and they kind of come off like someone's Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction. Yeah, yeah. The, the, there's none of that. they you know, there's, you can believe that they're just townsfolk. It's it's refreshing to see yeah, it's, that it's just a normal town with normal people. Well, I say normal. Yeah, it's, it's more that like they're 
they're more realized characters, I guess, than them being like necessarily realistic. Yeah. yeah. But the the other thing I like about it is that there isn't a single character that hasn't got some kind of backstory. There's very few in the way of incidental characters that are just there for comic relief or anything like that. They've all got little backstories that come out in the wash over the course of the ten episodes. But it doesn't feel crowded. It's not like, you know, it's not like uh, I understand Line of Duty is where you need a, a murder board with string leading you from one plot point oh, to another. Oh, yes, I love Line of Duty, but you do need to basically have your own specialised police department into just <laughs> summarising the plot of Line of Duty. Well, <laughs> uh, al- although you've got all these like intricate backstories about who dated who in high school and uh, Darcy's Olympic exploits and Astor's family history and um, Bits and pieces like that. Even even the even the Harrisicle um, history with his um, wife who comes looking for him. Yes, the hot ham. <laughs> that doesn't overcomplicate what's going on. You never lose track of the focal point of the story or the various different plot points that do tie up quite beautifully at the end. And isn't it nice that Linda Hamilton has found her niche? That's just oh, has she been like other things than Sarah Connor? <laughs> I remember. I remember there was a beautiful scene in another sci-fi serial called uh, Defiance, where she made a couple of cameo episodes uh, appearances, and. Uh, there's a beautiful when she first appears. There's a the the lead characters in the show are being chased in the sort of vehicles that they drove in Defiance, um, and they come a cropper and they get blown up. And she drives past in another vehicle, opens the door, and says, "If you want to live, come with me." Oh, oh, I I see what she did there. <laughs> but this is this is one where she's playing some kind of hard-assed military figure. But it's not Sarah Connor. It doesn't feel like a Sarah Connor clone. This feels like a, a proper, well-rounded character with backstory. And it isn't just a character that's been put in there because they found out that Linda Hamilton's available. Yeah, it's, and I think that they've probably cast her because she is a very well-known, like, sci-fi franchise actor. But it's, yeah, but it's yeah. not just a, hey, Linda, come in, and because we, we need this character to be, like, a bit of a non wig Doing, like you said, the whole, you know, come with me if you want to live thing. Like, yeah. she doesn't say that line even once in this. <laughs> Just imagine casting Linda Carter. Linda Ham- not Linda Carter. Linda Carter. That now that would be a different kettle of fish, wouldn't it? It really would. I would also watch that as her as like a, a military general type person. <laughs> I've seen her as president of the USA. Yeah, because she's in is it Supergirl? Yeah. 
that's good. Just reuse all your good actors. Not Dean Kane, though. <laughs> Don't use Dean Kane. No, they'd reused him as well. Oh, don't, don't do that, Super. They'll put him back in the box. He's he's gone off a bit. <laughs> and Helen Slater. Oh wow, they they get everyone in. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, with this, I think yeah, I think history is the word. I think that's like what makes them good characters is they've not just been like created and kind of popped into existence about five minutes before they show up in the show like they do have backstory and you know as well even like as not part of the main plot characters interact with each other like you have a decent idea of what they do when they're not on screen and i think that is a a very hard thing to manage and it's it's genuinely impressive that the show can do it so well yeah and it's it's Generally speaking, even even on shows that do have that depth of character, it tends to only come out when they're interacting with the lead roles. But this, you know, you get scenes between the mayor and Darcy, you get scenes between um, the kid and his parents, you get um, scenes between the deputy and other people in the town. It's not just around those key interactions that they have all the time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've definitely seen it somewhere, but I can't remember where exactly. But it's basically like a bit of writing advice that the secret to a good show is that you can take any two characters and have them be in a scene together. And this is that kind of show. Yeah. I think probably the last time I saw it on a, a genre show done this well was probably Eureka. Yes, that is literally a point in my notice. This reminds me so much of a town called Eureka. (laughs) because <laughs> it is just that same kind of sense of it being a weird town and the plot mainly being about just them like as a community getting on yeah and, it, it, and I think that's that's the strength of it both both this and Eureka they're, they're wild premises and they accept that but they maintain the internal logic that allows you as the viewer to suspend your disbelief and go, not go, oh, this is a load of guff. Yeah, and I think this, this again, is also good at, like, setting up rules and then sticking to them. Like, it's quite clear yeah. that everyone in the town except Max sees Harry as Alan Tudyk, but Max is the only one who sees, like, yeah. the squid alien men. And I think, and yeah. I, I'm glad that they stick so hard to that because it leads to what I think is my favourite scene in the series. Which is where Harry kind of gets one over on Max by convincing his parents that he's got some kind of, like... <laughs> I don't know, like... Yeah. Face blindness? He's got some kind of... Because <laughs> yeah. it's such a great idea of... Because Max can only see him as the alien, he just hands him three pictures, one of which is of him, one of which is a random guy, and one of which... It's incredibly Sam Neill, who everyone thinks is Russell Crowe. And he just goes, <laughs> okay, point to which of these pictures is me. <laughs> and it's great because it's one of those things where up until that point you only see like, oh, Max can see him as a, an alien. That's a big advantage for him. But then it completely flips yeah. to, oh no, like it's actually a weakness in this one scene. 
<laughs> as well as people's just inability to recognise Australian actors. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, Max is also one of those characters that could so easily just be annoying child character that's just there for that important point of screaming whenever they see Harry. Yeah, I know. Certainly in the first couple of episodes, I was worried that that was going to be like his whole thing. It's just, oh no, scream at the alien. Yeah, and it was almost like it was going to be the running gag. It was going to be, you know, like that bit in the Wile E. Coyote cartoons where he always orders something from Acme. Max was going to be that thing in the episode that almost gives... Yes, like he's always just going to show up at like an inappropriate moment or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, even that, they've they've managed to deftly handle and make it uh, an important part of the plot. And I think kind of the best part is made him basically have his intellectual equal. Yes. Yeah. Because that's that's, I feel like, part of the fun of Harry is just him being this very smug, oh, look at these dumb, idiot humans who I'm so much better than, and yet struggles to win arguments with a ten-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> but he is, um, and, and let's not forget that Max himself gets an accomplice as well. Oh, yes, is it um, Sahar, I think her name is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, I, I, I like her just, like, very pragmatic. Oh, okay, aliens are real. Okay, fair Actually, enough. <laughs> she's like the MacGyver of that little she thing. She is. <laughs> she's a science nerd. Yeah. It just has fun lines like when she says, Oh, I see aliens are also intimidated by strong women. <laughs> yeah. uh, I suppose we ought to talk about the alien. We should indeed. Because it's really well realized. It really is. Especially considering this is a sci-fi TV series. Those alien effects yeah. are incredible. Yeah. Like, especially because you've got, like, the main, when he's properly full alien, with, like, the four arms and the sort of insecty legs. And that's, like, some pretty great CGI. But then just the, yeah. the everyday, so, like, when it cuts to how Max sees Harry, he's just kind of it's like a guy wearing I mean what we as an audience know is probably just like a possessive mask but that mask is so good yeah yeah um and it's the it's the reveal of the alien anatomy throughout the series because you don't find out straight away that he's got four arms yeah I think it's they sort of peel away from his torso at one, in one scene don't they and it's like ah Yes, I think it's like when he needs to grab something extra off the table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, or the bit where like he has to have one of his legs amputated and then it grows back as a tentacle. Oh, that is... <laughs> and he's just waving around. <laughs> I think, no, I think that's the one where he uses it to like grab a sandwich off the table. And Asta's just absolutely <laughs> horrified. Uh, almost as horrified as when he tells her she has to amputate it. <laughs> oh, I wish I had to reach into like his chest cavity bit. 
Oh, yeah. Just mind the tea. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, it really is. I, it, I mean... I mean, Alan Tudyk doesn't really steal the show with his portrayal of the discomfort uh, Harry has of inhabiting a human body and also inhabiting a human society. Um, because it's just what we're used to seeing from Tudyk. It's, you know... Yeah, but I guess it's also it's hard to say he steals it when literally the entire show is built around him being able to deliver yeah. those lines so well. But I, I think I think it's a I think it's a testimony to the other um, actors that they don't pale into the background against the backdrop of his portrayal of Harry. That's the thing. It would be so easy for it to be Alan Tudyk as Harry and everybody else. Yeah, exactly. They are not like but his backing like, singers. Yeah. Um, so it, it's nice that it, it all just marries up. And, uh, and there's some elements of it, like, you know, dead Harry being in the freezer and every now and then someone nearly discovering him um, and the whole bit with um, dead Harry's ex-wife the hot ham and the stuff with Max all of it could so easily descend into just pure farce and the bits of body washing up on the lake and stuff could just defect def- uh, descend into pure fast and it somehow manages to not they somehow manage to just pull it back enough that it's just happy coincidence that something happens to stop them discovering this or something happens to stop them pursuing that lead but not in a farcical way yes it does manage to kind of always be oh it's like it's just on the cusp of Harry being found out and then manages to somehow mm-hmm. swerve it into a different direction Hey, and who doesn't love an invisible spaceship gag? People who aren't me, because I do love an invisible spaceship gag. <laughs> you can't be- I've been enjoying those since 1979, and the one I enjoy most didn't even get shown on telly originally. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's also... Because one of the things about this show is I was trying to look through it for, for good lines. But I feel like also a lot of it, it's not even that the line itself is particularly funny. It's just the way Alan Tudyk delivers it is, is incredible. I, 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 well, I think it's a combination. It's, it's the delivery from Tudyk and also the reaction and the underplaying of that reaction from the rest of the cast. It, you know, it, he's insane. He's insane at the best of times. And then there's scenes where he's insane and drunk yes like when he's just sitting in max's bed drunk eating crisps yeah to just this mildly perturbed child (laughs) who he keeps and that's that's the other thing is the fact that he keeps turning up in max's bedroom going i'm going to kill you 
<laughs> it's understand that I will kill you. And yet they end up kind of friends. <laughs> I know. Really funny. But I think I think I think you're right. I think if you if you read any of if you'd have read any of those lines out, regardless of how good the delivery was, they wouldn't be funny because they're not they're not short they're not hearty belly laugh kind of lines. They're just humorous within the context of the situation you're in. It's it's well written that way. So if you're one of the writers of Resident Alien, well done you. Indeed. Write some more now. Big, big thumbs up. But anyway, I guess... What I really wish now is that I had some kind of filter on Zoom that allowed me to put another two thumbs up. Oh, so you can thumbs up and then like your other arms <laughs> unfilter also thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Indeed. But yes, we, we've been very nice about Resident Alien, but I feel like I do have a little bit of criticism, which, in the interest of firm and balanced reporting, we should bring up. Which is... Well, why should we do that? Fox News don't. That's true, but also we're better than Fox News. Uh, Just listen to us for all your daily news needs. Things are happening in the world, probably. I mean, to be fair, you'd probably miss out on a fair bit given our frequency of recording, but... Oh yeah, that's true. You are going to have to get, like, just fortnightly updates on what's been going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, since the last recording, pubs have opened, a member of the royal family has died. Some caterpillars have gone to war. Oh, yeah, and it's also, it's going to be the gap between when we actually record these and put those out as well, so that's like another week where... You're just going to have to fend for yourselves. Yeah. But other than that, we're better than Fox News. Exactly. But yeah, with the, I mean, kind of going back a bit to what I mentioned about there being all multiple payoff, like multiple plot lines, they all kind of do develop their own thing. I do feel like because of that, the show can feel a little bit unfocused at times. Um, it, it can, but I feel... I feel that's a reflection of Harry's character because he starts off quite focused on this plan to find his device and destroy the planet. But as he gets uh, distracted by human interactions, he gets unfocused. So I think it's true that the, the direction it's going in seems to be a bit... And you do sometimes feel that a plot point pops up again out of nowhere and you go, oh yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, yeah, that's more what I mean, is that it does feel like sometimes things will get set up. Like, I mean, like like with the investigation into Sam's murder, where we'll have an episode where, ooh, there's a new clue, there's been some movements, and then that'll kind of just fade off into the background for a while and then we'll come back and go, oh yeah, we're investigating a murder, aren't we? Yeah. Or like the shadowy government agents will kind of just disappear for a little bit and then pop up and go, don't worry, we're still here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like I say, for me, it, it just underpins Harry's decreasing focus on his mission. Yeah, I guess. And I guess that's maybe, again, 
something I prefer in television is having some kind of like through line they kind of mm. like set up straight from the start okay this is where we're starting this is where we're going to I think, I think for me the the one the one criticism for me is that I don't really feel that you fully understand the motivation for destroying humanity we've clearly yes yeah, some... it's kind of a bit of a vague oh it's a kind of, it's a kind of vague we're doing this for our own good type thing but we're not really sure why yeah i think i think there's definitely there's kind of a line to walk where you maybe don't want to make it too heavy-handed yeah. of like a, a doctor who style but maybe if we do start recycling jodie whittaker turns to camera and winks at audience we yeah. can still save the future yeah yeah. But yeah, but we could use more of a determined like because I think got... in general I get the idea that if you look at us, the amount of damage we're doing to our own planet, aliens don't want us like messing up their own, so they want to just wipe us out. Yeah, and that there's some sort of vague suggestion that maybe some of our deeper sea inhabiting creatures are actually envoys from out there and Indeed. that Harry is in some way related to them. Oh, that reminds me fantastic thing I found out is that one scene oh. where he is speaking to the octopus Yeah, the octopus is played by Nathan Fillion <laughs> I did know that actually I mean he was bound to pop up somewhere wasn't he? Yes, I mean it's, it's inevitable isn't it? I feel like it's it's just a bit like magnets. Is that if you know he shows up, you can just feel Nathan Fillion being pulled in. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and it's so that I think that's a bit of a tenuous thing, and maybe we'll explore that more in um, season two because presumably someone's going to be upset that the device has been deployed and yet humanity's still around. Yes, I imagine it is. Yeah, I can see it probably be more like flipping to and now Harry is the one who has to defend the idea of, now maybe we shouldn't blow up the humans. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair to him, seems to be a pretty simple method of going, okay, but have you tried pizza, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's, I mean, a, that's it, another great bit, isn't it, of him holding the bomb as it's about to detonate and just turning to us and go, oh, by the way, I've left some pizzas at my cat. I mean, if you want them, you can have them. <laughs> and there's like literally seconds left. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, and that's again, I think that's again, like you say, is it's then just the reaction of Asterisk will be just like, no, just get on the spaceship and go, Harry, please. <laughs> <coughs> and it is, it, it, it's that beautiful juxtaposition between the weird alien man with the spaceship impending doom and the truly mundane preoccupations that humanity has with food and stuff. Let's hope he never discovers Facebook. I bet he will though, and I bet that'll be a good episode. <laughs> It's 
that I can put all my opinions on the internet. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine the Twitter storm if Harry was on social media? I mean, I, I feel like that's got to be a planned episode, right? <laughs> you, you, you'd think. So... Uh, any other any other things we can criticise? It's right, again. I it's like, it's more. I do like the I do like the intro se- sequence where it's done like a sort of airline safety guide. Oh yeah, the, the how to one, like how to not be a how to and how not to be a human. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. Yeah, that's good. I think my favourite one because it's also incredibly dark. It's like when you're like an egg coming out of chicken and then you eat the egg and that's got a tick. But then baby comes out of woman, eat the baby, <laughs> cross. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I like those because they keep with the, the art style of the comic as well to a certain degree. The, the, the graphic novel collections have got that kind of artwork style. Mm-hmm. Yes, is is it? Is it even Steve Parkhouse who does them? I'm not sure. It might well be. But, um, again, I've been enjoying his work since 1979 as well. Oh. oh, it was a big year, 1979. I'm sure it was, but yeah, I think kind of the other, again, kind of gripe I had. Is that of all the plots, the the thing with Aster, like her illegitimate daughter, is is maybe the bit that I found the least interesting. Uh, yeah, true. Um, just because I think mainly because it seems like it stays in kind of the same place for quite a while. It does. Um, and there's the possibility, you know, that. Maybe they, maybe they're setting the seeds for something in season two, rather than it being a wholly self-contained plot in season one. Yeah, maybe because it does seem like by the end of the series they're kind of starting to reconcile a bit. Yeah, but yeah, I'm happy to see where it goes, and I think in terms of complaints, it's probably entirely balanced out. By the fact that Harry learns to talk just from watching Law and Order. And so when he does yes. come across a murder, he just abruptly yells out, Dun Dun! <laughs> because that's what you do when there's a crime. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a good, well-rounded series. It is, and highly enjoyable, so shall we rank it on our list? Let's. So, yeah, this is our list of comic book adaptations, running from A History of Violence at number one, to 30 Days at Night at number 35. Um, so, I'm about to kick us off, sort of I'm looking around about, number 14 on the list is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Okay, what's either side of that? Uh, so, just above that, we've got Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, just below it, we've got Birds of Prey. 
Mm. Let's see. Maybe even a little bit higher, because I know we've got uh, Watchmen of... 2019 at number 12 and Men in Black at number 11. And I'm thinking, bearing in mind that what we're ranking here is adaptations, and in terms of being a good series and a good adaptation, it ticks both boxes, whereas some of the others that you've mentioned are enjoyable films or TV shows, but they're not necessarily a, a straight an adaptation. Yeah, exactly. This is something you can see, like, every change they've made, it's been to expand on the original source. Like, the yeah. idea of, in this, Harry being, like, more of a villain than he is in the comics, because yeah. that then does give you more of an opportunity to put him through character development. Which yeah. again, you need where well, you're not just like a, a two issue thing. Yeah. So, uh, what number was Watchmen? Uh, Watchmen, that's in at number 12. See, I'm thinking this is definitely a good, a good candidate for maybe top 10 even. Because it's a solid ten episodes. That is true. Well, shall I run through our top ten then? Let's run through the top ten. So, in at number one, we've got A History of Violence. Number two is Road to Perdition. Number three is Hellboy. Number four is WandaVision. Number five is Jessica Jones Season 1. Number six is Sin City. Number seven is The Boys Season 2. Number eight is Deadpool. Number nine is The Boys Season 1. And number 10 is Umbrella Academy Season 2. Okay. Uh, I would say, and this may be controversial, maybe sneak it in above Deadpool. Ooh, that that is indeed controversial, but not necessarily but a stance that I disagree with. But only because it's a direct adaptation, whereas the, the Deadpool movie isn't a direct adaptation of a particular Deadpool comic. Indeed, I'd, I'd say it's maybe not the strongest logic we've ever gone on, but I'm still, I'm happy to put... But, hey, it's the first time we've applied logic to anything, so, you know... Exactly, baby steps, baby steps yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm certainly more than happy to have it's... President Alien as our new number eight. <laughs> It's our first flailing tentacle into the application of logic. And there we go. Which does mean that, sorry Umbrella Academy Season 2, you are now out of the top ten. But take solace in the fact that you are not 30 Days of Night. That's true. In fact, there's, there's 33 other things that can take solace in the fact that they're not 30 Days of Night. <laughs> And besides which, you know, Umbrella Academy has a chance to re-enter once we get season three. That's true. We're giving it something to strive towards, aren't we? That's it. Finally, all those complacent writers have got that fire underneath them that'll truly bring out the talent. Indeed. But uh, I think that's probably about it from us for this week, then. Yep. So, if you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find all of our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. I've said episode too many times there, but whatever. 
we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> if you do want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you did leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's, it genuinely is like just the best way for shows to grow, even if it is just, you know, word of mouth. Getting friends, getting family, getting... I don't get a dog to listen to it. It's still a listen for us, isn't it? it, it it'll, also, it'll also help us adapt to human ways. Exactly. So, until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. So long, and thanks for listening. Now, where did I put that device? Maybe we should make that the last episode ever, then. <laughs> With an explosion. Yes. <laughs>